passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I am joined not by my co-host, because it's not 2018. It's 2022. I'm joined by my special guest, Chris Harrington. Welcome. Thank you, Brandon. It's great to be back. It's uh, fun music. Did you write this? Uh, Someone from the Creative Commons who gave this music to the Creative Commons wrote this. The the, the credits credits are in the description of both Ah. YouTube and these podcasts. Proper credit has been given. All the, uh, the licenses have been honored. Uh, I think it's like Save Us by, by some, some sort of German artist or something like that. <laughs> Wonderful. It's a lot, it's a lot less uh, copyright and fringy than uh, when we used to use the Office theme song as our opening the for office? our show. You, you use the Office theme song? I did at one point. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, there was, there's, no, there's no standards whatsoever to this podcast before you took over, Brandon. <laughs> Someone may have been using the Wheel of Fortune theme song. Yep. I, I, That's true. I did not get get a cease and desist from the uh, Merv Griffin organization or anything like that, but we decided to, as we uh, became more professional, to uh, use <laughs> free licensed music. But um, you have a big week coming up. We do. We do. And uh, there'll be lots of licensed music at the uh, two events that you can go to on Wednesday in Jacksonville, on Friday in Orlando, and then on Sunday, the Revolution pay-per-view, also in Orlando at the additional edition Financial Arena. Uh, which I'm looking forward to very much. And there's a Saturday event to the live music event is Saturday, correct? We have a fan fest on Saturday and we'll also have a uh, Mikey Ruckus is leading a whole group of music producers and, and musicians to perform some live AEW music that night as well. So it is a whole smorgasbord of AEW entertainment this week. And so you can watch it on, on television. You can attend it in person or you can even buy it on pay-per-view available yes. at Bleacher Report here in the United States at BR, or uh, available internationally at Fight.tv, available on cable, available on satellite, and also in movie theaters all across the United States here. Hundreds of movie theaters, including AMC, Regal, and Cinemark Properties. Yes. You're ahead of me. I was going to have you uh, tell me all the ways that I can consume this this pay-per-view. Um, I can say it again. <laughs> uh, what what should people be, lo- be looking forward to? What are you looking forward to the most for, for this uh, AW Revolution pay-per-view? Uh, it, <laughs> it always sounds defeatist to say for it to be over, but that just means everything went well. Uh, you know, it's exciting. I obviously I'm really excited about the, uh, Adam page and Adam Cole match. Uh, unfortunately we don't have a referee named Adam involved, but, uh, who knows, maybe we can hire a new Adam referee. Maybe if Chris Gallo wants to rename himself, Adam, he could have had the position, but, uh, unfortunately he's, he's choosing to go by the finer name of Chris, uh, I, I think Eddie Kingston and Chris Jericho are both maniacs. And so seeing the two of them come into the ring and fight, as I know that they will, is really exciting to me. 
and just everything that is going on right now with that big Haas battle that's that's shaping up in that ladder match there with Keith Lee and uh, I think Powerhouse Hobbs and some other are in there. It's just that's going to be exciting. That's always just an incredible match. So those are all ones that I'm really excited about for this pay-per-view. But obviously, Thunder Rosa and Britt Baker, I think they had one of the best matches of 2021, uh, something that in my mind did not get all of the credit it was due in the Observer poll this year. Uh, for that brutal match that they had way back uh, in in Jacksonville, and so I'm excited to see them also collide one more time. Yeah, I I, I did watch that one live on Dynamite, and I, I did feel it was one of the the best matches of the pandemic era. Um, so this is one of AEW's four annual quarterly pay per views. Um, why why is four the right number of pay per views per year for AEW? I think four is a great number for the pay-per-view number for us when it comes to just being able to build on television and make sure that, you know, we have this property where we're interfacing so well between what we're doing on the weekly television program with three hours or doing with the dark programming weekly. And then most importantly, what we're doing with the pay-per-view as a pinnacle, I think to revitalize the pay-per-view industry for wrestling and get people again, paying $50 domestic uh, is really an accomplishment by AEW and motivating people to make sure that you're delivering always at that high, high, high level is really important to us. In our mind, we have really put forth some great pay-per-views every single time, hours and hours and hours of great content. And I think it flows very naturally from event to event with the television build. Uh, Four is a great number. Maybe there'll be more in the future. Maybe there'll be less in the future. But I think right now we've we've made that promise and the people seem to be responding. And what was great is that we're seeing strengthening throughout the whole year. I think at one point it was kind of like, it seemed like the first half of the year might be stronger than the second half. But most recently here, when we had CM Punk come on in our uh, all out event and then leading into full gear, our full gear numbers were up enormously. And so that's been such a success for us to see year over year, the pay-per-views grow, you know, four is the right number for us because we're seeing growth. When you stop seeing growth or you stop seeing revenue opportunities, that's when you might pull back or reconfigure or reconsider, but we're, we're seeing growth. So it seems like we're doing the right things. And, and the, the closed circuit uh, business is something that I, I I have no experience as a as a wrestling fan myself. But I've I've heard stories of older people who used to go to see say WrestleMania at a movie theater, and that's something that after pay per view came along seemed to to go away. Uh, you've brought it back here. We we saw WWE do it for SummerSlam. They don't seem to have repeated that, or at least I haven't seen any press releases related to that, but you're continuing to do it. So it, it must be working out. You're saying you and your, it's it's my company as if I own and run it. No, it's our company. Uh, All Elite Wrestling is in fact partnering with these movie theaters. And it was a really exciting opportunity for us in coming out of the pandemic where we heard from movie theater operators that they were looking for ways to bring people back to the theaters uh, afterwards and to find it in a safe fashion and in a way that was going to be appealing to people. And I think that community aspect of watching wrestling is something that is really appealing. When I was in high school 
in the 90s, I would go and have, you know, pay-per-view parties where we'd all go over to somebody's house and we'd throw a couple bucks in the middle and get pizza and we'd watch the event, maybe even uh, put some side bets on the Royal Rumble. And I think for us, it's similar that that experience is more enjoyable when you're doing it with other people, whether they're at your house or whether you're at a movie theater. And I think movie theaters have elevated so much over the last few years here to be competitive entertainment sources for people with, you know, nice chairs and nice food and alcohol and all the other services that are coming out there. It's more and more exciting that it's an affordable way for people to go and watch the event. And it's a a fun kind of a, a, uh, destination opportunity. On top of that, what we're seeing is a great response is that we're hearing from theaters, hey, we're getting new people in. Hey, we're getting people buying tickets in advance. Hey, we get people that want to go to each one of these film, you know, each one of these showings that they will continue to to grow with word of mouth. And uh, a lot of these theaters, we had to um, set limits on how many people could go based on um, COVID protocols and, and safety protocols. And so it's been really exciting to just see, you know, a lot of theaters that are sometimes at 80 or 90 percent of the seats that are available, sometimes even 100 percent being sold out for these uh, for these showings of the pay-per-view. And it does feel a little bit like it. what is new is old. What is old is new again. When it comes to this stuff, you know, in the 80s, it was all about the live events and with a smaller focus, maybe on the pay-per-view and the closed circuit showings. But those were definitely big revenue opportunities. And for us, it's very similar where I think that's a big opportunity for us is those pay-per-view tentpoles and growing that that kind of secondary market is big for me. And I'm hoping to see it grow a little bit more in the traditional bar space in the future, too. But uh, we've seen a huge growth in the movie theater space, and we've seen them have a really great way of having kind of constant advertising opportunities where they can reach so many consumers because they obviously play screeners and have mailing lists and loyalty clubs and so many other things going on. And uh, they're fighting for eyeballs and dollars just like every other entertainment venue out there. So I I appreciate that, and I think it's a great way of elevating what the pay-per-view can be for people. So I'm excited that we put that together, and I'm really honored to know that we've grown it from, I think it was less than 20 theaters, uh, maybe only a year ago, to over 300 this time. And and the the bars, like when I see... um... UFC is going to be played at some bar that that's not just they're, they're obviously not just paying the pay-per-view fee to do that they're making some sort of deal with UFC in that case and that that and you're saying that that's that hasn't happened yet for for AEW a, a deal with bars um I think it's a little bit I'm I'm using my WrestleNomics mug here it's, Very it's good. available where at store.postwrestling.com you can get yours today yeah, it's very nice. It's one of three WrestleNomics mugs I have. Yes. I, I always make sure to to yes. rep rep my roots. Um, no, we do have we do have definitely bars and okay. restaurants that are carrying us as well. Uh, and and if you go on to the All Elite Wrestling webpage, there's a a where to watch tab, and and we do kind of lay out all the different places that you can watch our events at. But UFC, it's it, they call it commercial pay per view. Basically, it's it's you know, home rather than home pay-per-view it's there is distributors who work a lot on making sure that there are events that are being carried by alternative uh, venues, which can include bars, restaurants, uh, movie theaters, all those kinds of chains. And UFC has been incredibly successful with that as their campaign. And uh, you know, that's definitely something I aspire to in the future here is to, to, to replicate some of their most successful pay-per-view distribution techniques. Uh, always want to learn from the best. So, uh, the pay-per-view in or- in Orlando looks to be sold out, according to the WrestleTix estimates. Very few uh, first market tickets left. Uh, there's, mm-hmm. a, there's a report from Dave Meltzer that 
there's a lot of secondary market sales uh, for this. As, mu as much as half of the, the, the arena uh, is made it to the secondary market, according to his report. Uh, are you seeing that? Am I seeing Dave's report or am I seeing those numbers? You, are you seeing those numbers? Uh, I don't think I could confirm anything like those numbers there. Uh, not that I'm, I'm trying to be evasive on it, but it, those numbers don't necessarily ring true with me. But it's not to say uh, that there, that he doesn't have information that I don't. I I only see the sales you know, that go through our Ticketmaster partner, and we're really excited to say that the event is sold out. And I think it's important to us that we price our events in a way that people can afford. We offer merchandise and other things for people to buy when they come to our events and that they leave feeling like they got their money's worth and they had a great experience. And so I'm really excited that people really want to come see the pay-per-view. I'm, I'm really proud of all the events that we do in the year more than, you know, every single week we're putting on one or more. So is it, is, is the pricing, like I, I imagine this, this event came pretty close to almost all tickets gone pretty quickly. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but you see, do you, you see that there's a value in keeping the prices lower, even though you could have the prices higher, you can end up with a higher live gate in the end, but there's sort of a brand value in making the, the tickets more affordable for a, a wider group of people. I mean, obviously when you're building out an arena here, you can build out 700 different tiers of pricing. But generally, we don't go that that micro targeting in terms of what we're doing. I think it is important to us that people can go with their friends or their family and it can be an affordable package. And also that, you, you know, you do want to look at the marketplace and it's always going to be a little bit of a crapshoot. You never know exactly which event is going to take off and, and be on fire and which event might be a little bit slower in selling. So it's important just to have kind of general guidelines on how you approach it. I like to believe very much that a lot of people come to an event with a mindset of how much they want to spend overall. And sometimes if you don't spend that on the tickets, you're more likely to spend that on the merchandise or maybe even on food and beverage or other opportunities. Maybe that, that means that they're going to buy a ticket and go see Mikey Ruckus and band play. Maybe it means that they're going to go to the fan fest and they'll be able to, to buy a Jade Cargill autograph or uh, make some other kind of awesome opportunity there. So I, I'm, I'm very supportive of people finding the right way to spend their dollars. And at this point, I don't think that the ticket pricing is, is something necessarily that we need to revise in a major way. Uh, I think it's more important to focus on the, the aggregate uh, opportunity for putting, putting the right entertainment for people. Um, and, and we found out that AEW is going to have its first event in California or, or excuse me, earlier this week. Um, this will be the first event, I think, west of Nevada. There haven't been any events in Portland or Washington State yet, but the first one uh, in California. Um, what what took so long to get to California and what goes into planning the tour and how, how, how are you going to do events when and things like that? Well, I, I think there's a lot of different elements to running events on the West Coast. One of them is that we run primarily on Wednesday nights. Our show is on TNT from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. I'm sorry, TBS, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m. You caught me there. Uh, and when you think about what time that is on the West Coast, that means 5 p.m. Pacific. So that, that can be a little bit challenging to be asking people to be in their seats ready to watch a show that is starting the main event at 5 p.m., you know, that the Dynamite show on the West Coast. So that's obviously going to be one element of what it is. Part of it is that 
uh, we've just been having so many markets that have been great for us to be able to tour and, and go back to and work and be in the sphere of travel for us, which makes a lot of sense where we've been before. And part of it is just finding the right time and the right opportunity. I think that there's been uh, different states opening at different rates and different um, restrictions and safety. And just finding when is going to be the best for uh, the travel and for the planning of all the logistics involved. And then also you have to book these arenas and you want to book the right arenas. And there's a lot of competition. The reason we didn't go to Michigan for so long was not because we didn't love Michigan, but it's because it took a long time for us to make sure that we got all the pieces in place. And now that they're here, we're so excited that we're going to be going out there and having that event and so going to Michigan, going to California, going back to Vegas, those are all really big milestones for us as we come out of uh, kind of the pandemic era of wrestling and really spread the, the distance that we're able to go to and also be able to service more fans and, and bring the show to them. And uh, I, I would imagine the first time that you go to Canada, that's probably going to be a pretty big deal given how many fans there are, especially in the Toronto area, say, for example. Um, what's what's what has to happen before you're able to go to Canada? Is that still a COVID restriction thing? And uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not thinking it so much of as a COVID restriction thing. I think it's just a matter of uh, continuing to make the right plans and, and find the right time to execute that. Anytime you're going international, there's a little bit more complexity that comes into the picture just with all the logistics that get involved. Uh, so it, it will be a really fun thing for us. I mean, technically we've been international. We did a show in the Bahamas, so, you know, we, we have, we have gone overseas before, but, um, I think it will be a really the Jericho fun cruise? and exciting is it, is that what you're referring to? Yeah. The Jericho okay. cruise. Yeah. But we did a live dynamite there, if you remember. Okay. So off the ship, it was, uh, trust me, the logistics for that were no, we're not a walk in the park, let's say. Uh, mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of pieces that go into it. And so, uh, I, I have great confidence in our live events team to find the best opportunities and to just make sure that we're executing that at the time that is going to be most fruitful for us. Yeah. Um, you mentioned the, the live events team, something I've wondered about since AEW has started, or I guess more recently is the impression that I've got is that AEW has been, you know, run pretty lean. It's a startup and that you've obviously grown over the last two years. And it seems like employees have been added. Obviously wrestlers have been added. Um, like how, how big is i guess how many how many employees are working there how how evolved and how has aw grown from 2019 to today um yeah i i think I, i'm not going to give exact counts by department or anything like that yeah. but i think what we see a lot of is that obviously as you grow as a roster and as you grow as a television show, we're performing three hours of televised content a week. And that means that we need to have all the support staff that's appropriate for the roster our size. And I know you in the WrestleNomics annual yearbook, you do a count there of the number of people with 10 or more matches by promotion. And you can see how that number increases year over year. And you can see how AEW of 2019 was at one number and AEW of 2021 is at a very different number. And so all of that has downstream implications there's a need for a larger medical team there's a need for a bigger travel team there's a need for more finance staff to be able to deal with 
all of the um, the pay and the contractor pay and all the things that went into um, putting up kind of a new company. And, and really, uh, at a certain point, we were sharing a lot of resources with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they were very good to us. And I think part of it is as a company, you evolve and you grow and you then become people that are going to be more dedicated to just what you're doing. So dedicated legal staff, dedicated HR, dedicated analytics team, dedicated people on merchandise, dedicated people in marketing, dedicated people working on, you know, uh, the video game and things like that. So it's just natural through that expansion of licensing and merchandising and everything else that you do in a business that you're going to need more people. Uh, I think during the pandemic, there was changes in what we needed. And so maybe we didn't need as many security uh, working with us, but we needed a lot more uh, focus on our medical testing and our regiment for that. So over time, things have just evolved a lot. And so now that we have a much larger group of people that's going on the road from week to week, now that we're producing sometimes two shows, and in this case, this week, three shows plus a fan fest plus a concert, uh, you, you just have so many more people that are required to make the ship run and make you know make everything happen. And so we're learning a lot about that, especially as we onboard new people and we bring in new things and we kind of figure out, hey, we've been doing this by the seat of our pants and maybe we should do this a little bit more regimented. And so for me, that's been great because I've actually been able to give up some of the day-to-day things that I do and move it instead to other teams that can do it full-time and be dedicated to it. So I'm not doing 25% travel. I'm giving that over to the travel team. They focus on that all the time, that sort of thing. Um. When I, when I hear, when I see people, um, when I maybe occasionally vanity search Mookie on, on various platforms, I see people, um, or make comments to the effect that I, th- I think people imagine that you are working on spreadsheets and doing things that I, I would call creative analytics, um, like researching, you know, who's had what matches and, 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 uh, maybe, you know, using that information to inform booking decisions, um, so I, I would like you to explain maybe what you do uh, for AEW. Do you, do you do things like that or you do, I think I know that you do a, a variety of, of other things. I, I think we work, I work on a lot of different elements of what, what's happening in the day-to-day with AEW since I started with the company, um, you know, prior to 2019. Every year, it's going to be a different focus uh, in terms of what we have to do, whether it's building up business plans and doing presentations. Later, it's about you know developing, um, making sure that we implemented all the contracts that we signed and developing kind of the backbone for some of the structure that we needed to have internally. And then it was a lot more focus on international television deals and making meeting partners and and doing a little bit of licensing and merchandising discussions. And then eventually it's, it's moved a lot more into uh, finding other opportunities for revenue generation and also just measuring and, and reporting and, and analyzing, you know, as we expand all these international partnerships that we have around the world, whether it's ITV in the UK, whether it's uh, Sky Germ, you know, uh, Sky Germany doing our pay per view in in Germany, or TNT Siri doing our television show. Whether it's space in Mexico and Latin America, you have to service all these partnerships and service all these partners, and that means creating assets. It means finding ways to answer their questions, finding ways to deliver things in the most cost effective manner. Looking at anti piracy solutions and developing different strategies around what we're looking at. So I spent a lot of time just doing business stuff. Uh, you know where I break out the spreadsheets and, and get a lot 
into the details is, you know, I do get ratings reports every week and we do spend some time correlating what were the ratings gains throughout the episode to what was on the screen and trying to figure out if there's any meaningful takeaways for that. Especially for me, it's it's helpful to look at it and think about, okay, what does this mean for pay-per-view opportunities? What does this mean for merchandising opportunities for people? What might this mean for what's the strategy that we have around where we're placing certain segments in the show? And giving that feedback and that insight to Tony Khan and letting him really uh, digest that. And and as he puts the show together as the head of creative, really thinking about some of those learnings that we get over time about how we can make the show more effective and how we can, you know, grow viewership, retain viewership and engage our viewership. And and does the research and the analysis that you do, does that, to what degree do, does that inform what people end up seeing on TV or does, does... Tony more more so rely on instinct or or uh, you know go ahead you know I can't get I can't pretend to be inside Tony Khan's head when it comes to how does he distill this information I can tell you he has an incredible memory and is very acute at being able to remember which segments with which people did really well in the past and he does spend a lot of time kind of reflecting on what we see and especially when the trend is different than what we expect, you know, we, we see something like a Lee Moriarty versus uh, Brian Danielson. And we know that we're putting somebody on that screen that a lot of people at home are not going to be familiar with versus someone that they are. And it's, it's interesting to us to then see, okay, are we going to see some success with this at, over time? And as we develop people and giving people that opportunity, we did that with Daniel Garcia quite a lot. Uh, with uh, the Rampage show, especially where we gave him a lot of big opportunities as someone who was in a different place. And it's exciting for us to kind of take that. I think for us, we learned a lot about the structure of the show when it came to where we were using picture in picture, where we were using full breaks and hybrid breaks, um, especially in the, the era when NXT was performing at the same time as us. And so we spent a lot of time really looking at what the commercial break dynamics were between the two shows. And certainly that gave us some opportunities to uh, optimize what we put in and where we put it in. But in general, uh, I think you learn things over time and you like to see the proof in the pudding over time of what is working. And it's reassuring a lot of times to look at someone and having exposed them enough times or enough ways that you do see an audience growing behind them. And that's really exciting for us. So it's also a technique that, you know, it's a way we can view the star power that we put on a show. And it's a good way for us to kind of sometimes do an internal gauge just to make sure that we're delivering enough in all the different quarters or all the different hours to make sure that we have enough stuff on the screen that we think is going to be engaging. Uh, but I, it's, it's difficult for me to distill it into something where I can say, yep, we made this decision because of this as much as it gives us an opportunity sometimes to shuffle the deck a little bit. And it gives us confidence often to change things up just a bit, but you'll usually see a very strong segment at the top of the hour. You know, that's not new knowledge for everybody, but uh, especially what we're doing at that top of the hour, there seems to be a big tune in opportunity for us. And we try to make sure that we capture that. Speaking of tune in opportunities, that's a perfect segue. Um, That brings to mind the big bang theory. Since last time we talked, I believe in September, uh, at that time, Dynamite was on TNT. It is now on TBS, and it's at 8 o'clock on TBS on Wednesday night. At 7.30 on TBS is the last episode of a block of the Big Bang Theory reruns, among the most watched reruns on all of television. Um, and uh, 
from the quarter hours. It looks like Dynamite is really benefiting from that. Um, so I don't know. Could, could you tell us something about what kind of uh, trends do you see in that very in, in that in that period where it's you know it's not seven fifty nine anymore. It's eight o'clock, and I imagine it's a. I'm looking at the demographics of what Big Bang Theory does. It's an older audience, um, and are you? Do you feel like you're you're gaining a bigger audience? Are you capturing, introducing new fans to Dynamite on TBS? Still, probably very early for us to try to to make that conclusion. Um, we've definitely had some really strong weeks when it comes to um, how AEW has done since moving to TBS. And we couldn't be more thrilled than just how well that's turned out for us. I think it was something where, you know, we didn't know what what it was necessarily going to look like, but the, the network had confidence in what we were doing and we've only seen success. And that's really been reassuring. Yes. Is there any kind of a, a normalization that happens in the first few minutes of a program? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we might go from, on a show that maybe is averaging, you know, a million viewers, we might start off at 1.3 or 1.1 million viewers, but within two minutes or three minutes, usually you're finding that, that audience, but it's not like you're going from 2 million down to half a a quarter million viewers or something like that. It's, it's, it's a much more gentle curve than I think sometimes people think it's going to be. And sometimes people have overstated the impact of what that female audience might look like. I think, I think it's a lot, more people are tuning in to watch AEW at the start of the hour than we're getting necessarily a live flow from Mm -hmm. that Big Bang Theory. So what we're seeing a lot of is people still finding us and tuning us in. And so maybe that audience, maybe on that F2+, plus, that older female audience, there's a little bit more of a decline there going from maybe 600,000 to 400,000 to 300,000. But when you're looking at, you know, even the... um, the, the female 18 to 49 audience, we're not necessarily seeing such crazy numbers that suggest it's all these people that accidentally just left their television on and were watching. We're seeing a lot of people making a, the conscious choice to watch AEW. And that's great to see. And I just think it's it's good to be on TBS. It's good to be on TNT. We like having two network representation. I think it, it underscores just how much faith that that our our partners in Warner Media have in us and that we have with them. And since you've moved to... Um... To T- since Dynamite has moved to TBS, uh, there's a, a, a really clear like-to-like comparison with, with what's replaced Dynamite on TNT is the, the NHL. And it's, uh, it's intriguing to see that comparison that, that Dynamite wrestling was doing much better in that time slot than the NHL was. Um, I would think that that's a, a, a point to raise when you're trying to uh, support the value of, of AEW on television and say, hey, look... We're we're doing even better than the NHL is doing the same same time slot same network. Certainly, there's a lot of metrics that everyone is going to want to look at in order to understand the aggregate value of any property. And I know that NHL delivers in many different metrics as well. And I think anytime you isolate yourself to one single metric, you're going to find ways to make yourself seem different than another property. But all the different elements of what AEW is able to offer, we're really proud of. I think we're excited that NHL is part of the network as well because it draws viewership, it draws fans, and it draws sponsors that are interested. And that's that's also going to be good for all the other sister properties that are involved with these networks. And so 
that is that that's just one way of looking at it. And also, I would say regular season versus playoffs are going to be very different numbers. We see that with a lot of sports. So it, it's very early for people, I think, to be making any kind of bold predictions about what uh, what any property looks like. We have a an unsolicited super chat from MJ. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I, wa- I wanted to uh, bring up two. Um, TNT, uh, with Rampage on TNT, it's been preempted to a, f- a few different positions here. Uh, Saturday night on a Christmas night, uh, just the other day, other week it was on at 7 o'clock uh, on Friday. Um, a lot of the response that I see when I make my ratings reports is that, oh, what, what if Rampage was on uh, a different time slot other than 10 o'clock on a Friday? Maybe you would do better ratings. Um, I was wondering if you have any thoughts about that that you could share with us and anything that you've learned from Rampage being on these different uh, time slots on occasion. I do think that you've seen the quarter hours for Rampage and that you're aware that there is a different viewership pattern for, say, a show that goes from 7 to 8 and a show that's going from 10 to 11. And that we do see, um, you know, the number of people that are watching television from 10 to 11 decreases a lot. The number of people watching television between, say, 7 and 9 or 7 and 10, it's a much different slope. And so there is sometimes almost a different feeling of what success might look like for a Rampage show that airs at one time frame versus another time frame, uh, just on that that shape of the curve uh, from the beginning of the show to the end of the show. And certainly, you know, something that Tony Khan thinks a lot about in terms of where he puts different events, where he puts different matches and the desire to, you know, make someone tune in, see the show and say, I want to stay with the show to the very end. And that's always going to be our focus on any time we put together a program is to say, we want you to appreciate everything that we're doing. And at the same time, you're always going to be fighting the natural attrition of what's happening in the the greater forces, whether it's just people that turn off the televisions during a certain time as the night goes on, or whether it's uh, news ratings being way up uh, with things that are happening and knowing that that's going to change maybe where you rank on the night. But it's not always that important to focus on the week to week battle as much as it is about building the brand and building the opportunities with our individual superstars and building the the programs that we're doing and hopefully delivering wrestling content that people feel the need to go and buy and go to spend their money to watch and that they feel engaged with and characters that ring true and authentic to them, which is what we're really focused on doing. Yeah. I, I think it's really easy to get caught up in the, in the short term week to week ratings. Friends. Could you imagine if you, you hosted a program where you had breaking news updates, maybe even several times I, a week just to report numbers as I, if that was your, the biggest focus. It, it, it's, it's uh but, but here's the thing. Uh, WrestleNomics is, is, is trying to talk these people into sanity and, and to say, Hey, look, here's how to read it. Hopefully that's my, that's my goal. Um, yes. But uh, the, um, there was a, a 30 minute period in October uh, where SmackDown and Rampage went head to head. SmackDown was on FS1, preempted from Fox. Um, and the, the, the demo was extremely close. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think Rampage was ahead by 1,000 viewers, according to the, the Nielsen measurement. Um, was anything learned from that experience? Uh, do you get feedback from, from the network? Are, you know, are they, they proud that you've, you know, that you were so close or even slightly exceeded a WWE program on, on that occasion? I think it's always a great talking point whenever we're making the pitch to whether it's international partners 
or partnerships that we would like to have, whether it's it's sponsors or or merchandisers. But ultimately, we're really more focused on the stories that we're telling and the and the wrestling that you see on the screen. And so, of course, we discuss it. Of course, we get excited about those things. But to be honest, I'm so focused right now on what I'm doing this week and and television and the logistics and all that. You're focused that, you on know, you had to, you had to take you had to take me back to even bring me back to that moment. Um, I I'd rather talk about the cool matches that we were having at that time rather than the numbers. Uh, just because it's a big universe and there's a lot of opportunity for people to watch wrestling, and we're happy that there's so many people that can watch wrestling and that you can see great matches on television. Um, very recently, uh, Cody Rhodes. And Brandy Rhodes announced that they're leaving AEW. So I, that, that leaves a lot of questions about what happens with Rhodes to the top. I know there was a report in November that Rhodes to the top is going to be renewed for an additional season. Um, is there anything you can tell us about what the future of that program is? Or if it's not going to continue, is anything going to replace it? Or or anything that you know right now? I, I don't know anything about Rhodes to the top. That's That would be between... Uh, that's something the network would have to answer, not me. But uh, well, That was an AEW I, you know, show, correct? Um, I think Tony Khan might have been credited as an executive producer on it, but I wouldn't necessarily have called it an AEW show. But uh, I didn't ever work on Roads to the Top, so I, I can't really speak to it. So, but, you know, we, we, we will miss Brandy and Cody, and it, they were such an important part of, of bringing this company into existence. And we had a lot of really good adventures to be really honest from the beginning with them and so it's it's been really wonderful working with them these last three years and i i'm really glad that AEW has had a chance to work closely with the american heart association and culture city and the pet charities that you know were were things that were examples of just projects that you know for instance brandy worked on and brought us closer to and i i appreciate that i'm glad we're continuing on with those projects as well it's always startling when i when i have to decode Harrington into Mookie, uh, as he, he mentioned you in, in his note. Um, does anyone still call you Mookie in AEW? Uh, yeah, uh, Daniel Garcia. Yes. Uh, Will Hobbs discovered that I was named Mookie, and he's very amused by that. So he says Mookie whenever he sees me. Uh, the Blade, who comes also from upstate New York, he'll okay. call me Mookie. Okay. Um, and I think uh, Colt Cabana sometimes if I'm not mistaken, will sometimes call me Mookie just because I think he thinks of my Twitter handle uh, for some reason, uh, maybe from all the Among Us games that we played uh, okay. for, during the pandemic. So, And if I just go back and bother you about Roads to the Top one more time, my, my understanding, okay. you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that AEW was to Roads to the Top as W was to Total Divas in that these are unscripted series, rally programs that are put on by those companies. Or was Roads to the Top uh, a Turner project that they sort of casted Cody and Brandy for? Oh gosh. I, I don't think I have an answer to that. I, I really was not involved with Rose to the top at all. Uh, so I, I couldn't, couldn't really tell you any more than to say that they filmed while we were doing AEW shows. And, uh, I don't think the, the one or two scenes that I was ever in ever aired. Were you so in? Maybe if they put out, if they ever put okay. out the, uh, the, the laser disc, maybe they'll be on the bonus scenes. Yes. I did. I did get a, um, a, a, uh, contact to release, permission so that they could use one of my headlines i, I don't think it ever appeared in, in the program oh that's either. fun um uh, a, a news item that just came out today is that um hbo max uh well turner well, first of all turner got rights to u.s soccer have you seen this today 
New news. No, I, I wasn't aware of that. But I assume you're talking about Warner Media when you say Turner, Turner, Turner. What's 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 the preferred nomenclature? I always think Turner is like it's is TBS and TNT. And in this case, boy, but the point is that the, the the main issue that I wanted to bring up is that HBO Max is going to be among the live broadcasters for US soccer, which as far as I know is the first time that that HBO Max is going to have live sports on it. Um which uh you know, HBO Max is a Warner Media property. That's that's in in the universe of your your US TV AEW's US TV US TV partner. Um, so is that? Uh, I would think that that's that's encouraging. That maybe uh, there's more interest in live sports f- among these other streaming platforms, especially one that you're partnered with, or at least the parent that you're partnered with. S- encouraging towards the the idea that maybe AEW makes a really great streaming deal someday. Certainly that's exciting news for Warner Media to be doing that. And HBO has such a long sports history. You know, think about the decades and decades boxing. of boxing yeah. that was part of, of them. And then other times when I think they've gotten involved in, of course, Showtime used to do MMA and still probably does MMA at times. And other other premium sports you know, services have done that. So I, I imagine that's part of the strategy that all services are looking at. You know, when you have Twitter looking at NFL and Amazon and other people, uh, Amazon picking up tennis rights and, and just so many other things that have happened. It, it's natural for these large conglomerates to be looking at ways to be getting that viewership and getting that live viewership and also looking at ways that they can take content and distributed across all these different platforms. I mean, there's so many, think about how the Olympics uh, was integrated with Peacock on NBC. And so we're just seeing this new trend, I think right now of programmers finding ways to bring the content into both the, the streaming platform and into the linear platform. And that's really exciting. And as a content provider, it's exciting for us, but we'll have to stay tuned if there's anything more ever to say about that. Yeah, I know Tony Khan is hyping up a big announcement that's supposed to be revealed tomorrow on Dynamite. I know you don't well, want, to, hope, you want to talk about it. But I hope. <laughs> well, I hope I hope you tune in tomorrow night yes. at 8 p.m. on TBS and you watch that or you have an AEW Plus subscriber uh, somewhere overseas on you can watch it through your AEW Plus subscription and you're able to find out what Tony Khan's big announcement is. Yeah, I, I have no information, but I, I would guess maybe... Maybe maybe streaming, uh, maybe some sort of streaming product related to to AEW. That would be that would be my guess. You, you know, I, I will tell you the God's honest truth. There's so many irons in the fire with Tony Khan that when you say Tony's got a big announcement, I might say which one because he's always got something else that he's cooking up and working on. So you're not going to be able to get from me what it is in any way because I'm not even going to know until I hear tomorrow with Tony exactly which which. Which incredible one? opportunity or or thing that he's he's making an announcement about mm-hmm. um the uh before i let you go here i, I think we, we're, we're you, you've agreed to give me about 45 minutes of your time so i, yeah. I want to keep you over that um the, the toronto star uh had a story about aw and wb um w make, makes a comment in in the story of you know making reference to the the new year's eve uh rampage episode that had the the, the tag match uh between uh it was, a, it was a women's tag match between bunny and penelope 
forward and uh the other two escaped me but anyway their, their point is that it was it was very violent. i think it was anna jay and, and ty conti thank you the, the, their point is that it was it was violent and they don't think that that's the kind of content that business partners advertisers and the public uh would want to accept uh to paraphrase uh how, how does how does aw respond to that or what do you have to say about that Oh, I don't know if I have any kind of a response. I think everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Uh, I thought it was a great match. I thought it was an exciting match. I thought it was a cool match that aired at a very special time slot. Um, And that all the people in that match worked the hell off the whole time. And it was really exciting and and terrific thing. And, And the ratings were exactly you know we had viewers that that seemed to really respond positively to what they saw and they understood that it's a professional product and sometimes these fights get personal and that's what happened that night and so i i certainly um am really proud of the product that AEW produces every week do, do you get feedback from from networks about the, the content or the degree of violence or do they just sort of say you know do do the kind of show that you think you want to do well, we get a lot of invitations to bring Nick Gage to bar mitzvahs and kindergarten graduations and things of that nature. Uh, I, no, I mean, uh, obviously, it's, it's professional now. wrestling, and it, it's the circus. You're going to see everything under the sun, and that's what's really exciting about it. It's, it's so unpredictable. It's so exciting, and it can uh, – it's it's these incredible professionals. So I – I'm I'm always going to hear feedback from people, good, bad, indifferent, about what they like, what they don't like. But you know, our partners are really happy with what they're getting, and we're really happy to work in those partnerships. And that's about as as corporate and honest as I can be. There. Yes, we spent many years studying how, uh, corporate uh, and, and and honest responses. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I think I think that's all I have for you uh, to to badger you with this time Mookie well Um, well, I appreciate you you giving me the opportunity to come here and talk I think you guys do a great job I I do wake up many Sundays and and pop on the live broadcast and listen you guys talk for for an hour or two hours I told my wife I was going to be 45 minutes today and she says I've heard you say that before I know if you're talking to Brandon it's not going to be and I said well I have a plane to catch so it's a little different this time but uh I I enjoy uh doing this with you guys I'm glad that there's people out there that are spending the time and effort in recording this data and monitoring all the different trends and you know servicing the fans that are really interested in the content I hope it works out well for all of you if fans are interested they can watch the pay-per-view this weekend uh again on uh BR we, we have a whole bunch of new BR apps that have been released here. So it's available on Apple. It's available on Android. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of ways that um, people could purchase it. And again, if you're overseas, fight.tv. Uh, you can buy it on cable. You can buy it on satellite. Or you can go to one of the movie theaters. See it at AMC, Regal, Cinemark, and some other chains. So I'm excited about that. And I hope that uh, everybody has a really good week. Yeah. And uh, we thank, thank you for joining us. Uh, and thanks for, thanks for creating the WrestleNomics brand which I am uh, continuing to uh, try to get the most out of here, out of, out of your uh, tremendous legacy and all that you've, uh, you've taught me uh, about the wrestling business and about Excel and math. What little, well, you picked I... it up with Python and R and a lot of letters. That I, don't know any that R. I, I don't know any R. I, I have been motivated. <laughs> the, the wrestling business has, and wrestling economics have motivated me to, to learn uh, many things, Excel, and then Excel became so much like programming. I decided to just start doing Python. But, uh, yeah, but yeah. I told I told a gr- group recently. I said I learned how to read balance sheets because I wanted to understand WWE's SEC files. Is this your seminar files. that you did? 
I, I, yeah. So, so, but just the idea of sometimes boring subjects can become more, more interesting to you once you have a project or a personal connection to what it is. And it's amazing the lengths it will teach you to go uh, once you, once you have a, a, driving factor of coming from WrestleNomics. Yes. Yes. So. We're just doing math problems with wrestling examples, but uh, th- thanks to Chris Harrington for, for joining us. The AW Revolution pay-per-view is this Sunday and we will, I will be back in two days to talk All right. li- live TV ratings talk on this very WrestleNomics YouTube channel. If that's where you're listening to it right now, talk to everybody next All time. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.